just trust me, okay? This is Michael, and I am here with the brainiac of business, Colin McDowell. How are you, sir? I'm good. Every time you hit me with something new, and I don't know what to expect. I'll take it, man. That was a fresh one. And none other than the fresh one from Norfolk, the lovely Lizzo. Hey, hey, Michael. So, we're here to talk about business, and the first story we're going to hit on is now that everything is coming back as far as movies and everything hitting back in theaters, theaters are opening, um, we're going to be talking a little entertainment here. Viacom CBS CEO forecasts $7 billion in global streaming revenue by 2024. Bob Backish tells annual shareholder meeting, we have made tremendous progress, adding that the firm was on track to exceed its targets for merger synergies. So what I was thinking, number one here, was with us coming out of the pandemic and going back into the land of the living, do you think we're going to see a trend kind of go down on shooting movies into the homes at the same time as theaters? Or what do you think? No, I I think that's going to be a two-pronged strategy that every one of these content makers and distributors is going to have to keep up with. Um, so, for instance, you're going to see a change of the guard in their content that will cross over from theaters and keep you on their streaming service. So, for instance, you're going to have Star Wars movies still go into theaters, but then they have all the Star Wars shows that intertwine with it, right. that direct content and one-off shoot movies that they're going to do on the platform specifically. I, I think so, and I'm I'm going to be glad to see what those are, but I know that it is kind of a good way for their numbers to go up, but I'm wondering if it's just going to kind of go... Uh, yeah, I, like I agree, break even I agree or something. with... They're going to do something, and, I'm, and this is probably a really bad reference, but the X-Files was on TV. They did a movie that was completely out of the... Yep. the it was an independent movie. It didn't follow into the... It followed from the pre-existing storylines, but wasn't a crucial part of the storyline. Right. And I think uh, that that's what we're going to see. Or you're going to see an integration of of a, more of a strategic kind of a rollout of like a movie. Like placement? Strategic placement? Strategic placement. And you may see, you may see the movie just blend back onto the online services after about a week or two versus a month or two? That's what I was thinking, because my thought was maybe they're going to do it where it's like for the first three weeks to kind of get you into the theaters, they're going to go ahead and only do theaters, and then after that, maybe then they'll start streaming it. I think that'll go with select titles and budgets being concerned, right? If they know it's going to be a tentpole movie, something that's going to make a major hit, you know, that they've already had embedded in their IP that they have a track record on? Absolutely. Like right. Lord of the Rings, for instance, just announced, uh, Warner Brothers just announced Lord of the Rings is being done in an anime, but it's going to fit into the world that Peter Jackson already made in the movies. But it's an anime movie right. that's going to fit into it. But so then it's going to have- be something that falls in between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings or something? Cause yeah. It- it's yeah. going to be fit into that lore. But then you have a actual Lord of the Rings TV series being done by Amazon. Which oh, which is, is the most expensive mm. production in history ever. So you're saying that one is separate? It's Maybe separate. that's why Kitty wants to move to Texas. Maybe. <laughs> but again, Lots of filming opportunities. They were using a lot of the same folks, <clears throat> supposedly at the front of it, to actually do it. So now it's going to be interesting to see how Warner Brothers and Amazon play well together using the same IP. Because they're both using the same IP. How does that work? Is one better than the other? Right. Is one time... Because you got to remember, people allowed like, the, the classic Lord of the Rings movies that Peter Jackson did. Right. As you don't touch it. 
Right. Unless right. he's a part of it, you don't touch it. It's like one of those sets of movies. So well, it'd be like someone be remaking nice. Titanic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It would. I, I mean, and I wonder if the the Lord of the Ring nerds are gonna. Uh, totally like go to one camp or the other camp well i think that the only thing they're concerned with is does it follow the storyline that's it so that's that's all they're going to be concerned did tolkien write books in between the lord of the rings and no yeah he just had appendices in there that made no you know translative sense so people can take liberties with these appendices Mm -hmm. and things yeah absolutely and then think about this i mean this is how far it's going sony and marvel are playing well together right because they have the spider-man rights marvel doesn't own it you've seen tom holland be in those movies now they've structured a new deal now you're looking at what the rumor is is that the next spider-man movie that comes out here in december is going to have three spider-mans in it meaning it's going to be toby Maguire, yes the old one, i saw Andrew that Garfield and him all in the same movie with the old villains all mixed in as well oh and my gosh it, it's out there that they've hired these people so think about how many times you can now see spider-man on some sort of screen whether mm-hmm. it's streaming or not i'm seeing them expand these ips and it might actually get to a point where it's going to be little bit too much you know what i mean you uh-huh. like too much spider-man is too i'm mu- dizzy too much. already see yeah <laughs> but i think that's the war that you're seeing with streaming versus going to the movies like you're gonna have ones that will go absolutely to the movie theaters because it costs too much money to make it's just interesting to me too because there's a lot that goes into these thought processes about how we're going to disseminate this that and the other and is it going to be taboo to touch this that and the other all I know is I'm glad that they're not touching any of the things that are really relevant to me. Yeah. So. <laughs> there you go. I don't necessarily know. They're I mean, not touching the Titanic? No. They're, well, that was kind of one, but not really. The biggest one was when they remade Steel Magnolias. That was a whole shit show. So <laughs> I, I, we'll, talk, we'll uh, talk about that off air. That's affair. another conversation yes. for another day. In between this, this segment and the next, we're going to talk about that. Fried Green Tomatoes remake on the way. I'm going to shoot someone if that happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or Driving Miss Daisy. Anyway. The list goes on. The fine print behind Jason Kalar's Warner Media contract. The executive who was said to be blindsided by the merger deal has strong incentive to stick around until May 2022 when he's entitled to millions more in severance benefits. So he has more than 20 million reasons to stay on as CEO of Warner Media for the time being as the company awaits regulatory approval to merge with Discovery. When Kalar was hired in spring 2020, he was granted more than 1.6 million shares of AT&T stock, set to vest over four years beginning February 15th, 2021. According to the agreement, which was filed with the Secretary, I'm sorry, Securities and Exchange Commission, the second tranche of shares valued at just over 12 million as of June 7th would vest February 15th, 2022, if he still works at the company. Number one, duh. I think you should figure this out. AT&T is getting to be have a good media uh, presence and with their mobile network. Because their mobile network's kind of slacking. It is. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, they don't have as much spectrum. And they've got a lot of, just knowing the technology side, they've got a lot of mix and mash spectrum, what, I, what I'll say. They don't have a lot of contiguous stuff. And they have some of this high band stuff that hasn't uh, really matured as well as people thought. What are your thoughts here, sir? I mean... That's pretty much a no-brainer. I mean, this is a no-brainer because, again, look behind the scenes. AT&T bought 
Warner Media. Right. Yep. So that means Warner Brothers, their movies, their TV shows, they own the content. Yep. Like they own the it's content a, is what they're the, is what they're playing. Right. This is what they want. This is everybody's into it. So you have larger parent companies always buying up smaller companies, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. So this is all part of that. And they were not happy with the big streaming platform Warner has is HBO Max. And since it didn't do as well as they wanted it to do, they've already, a year after spending, I think it was like $46 billion mm-hmm. to buy the company. It, it was just insane amount of money. They did not see it. So now what they want to form is a company with Discovery. That's a separate company, again, owned still by AT&T in the majority. And control that so that they have a, an arm that they could sell off at some point right. seems to be the strategy behind this. But what it did is meaning they want to move in Discovery's president to become the new CEO instead of Jason. Jason still is the CEO, but they don't have the regulatory sign-off saying this is not a bad idea in business, right? That you right. do this in that type of scenario. So it's his best interest to not quit since he knows he's not going to be the CEO because then that means his payout's worth some money. I well, would stick it out. Well, yeah, it oh says yeah. including severance pay of $5 million, which he would not receive at all if he leaves before the two-year mark. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand what the thought process is here. There's clearly something we don't know. It's, it's Retention bonuses are a big thing uh, with companies like this, especially during mergers because it – you create a sense of uncertainty. Maybe the CEO leaves, but you don't. You, you can live with the CEO leaving, but you can't live with his underlings leaving. Right. To run the company once it's merged, because I ha- we had during the Sprint T-Mobile merger, <clears throat> we had uh, 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 retention bonuses all the way up through the merger. If I hadn't had my adult vacation, I would have been a lot richer. Oh, wow. That would have been lovely. On that note, everyone, go and check your investments, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. With my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Rolling down the street, smoking and down, sipping on gin and dills. Laid back. With my mind on my money and my money on my mind. So what you want? I want bourbon. I want scotch. Welcome back. So, of course, what would be the next topic? We're talking about bourbon. How Trump's tariffs haunt Kentucky, I'm sorry, Kentucky's whiskey. Sorry. Distillers. We're still on death row. This is an article that comes to us straight from Lizzo. So, dozens of cases of whiskey sit on the ground floor of the James E. Pepper Distillery in Lexington, Kentucky, ready to be shipped, but Because President Joe Biden hasn't moved to end trade disputes started under former President Trump, none of it will be going to thirsty customers overseas. What are your thoughts? Tariffs equal bad. (laughs) It's that simple. Now the segment's done. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's that simple. The the tariffs that Trump had had in place to make us more isolationist, tariffs do not work in a global economy and will never work. And you're trying to to essentially hold political power in an economic world and there's there's victims on both ends and the kentuckians yes in Rand paul and mitch mcconnell state are the ones that are getting you know that all elected these guys in are holding the bag and 
That sucks. That really sucks that that's what's going on yeah. over there. They're kind of just stuck. I like that the way that they phrase it is we're on death row. We're still just sitting here. Right. We can't do anything with what we've got. I mean, clearly it'll be purchased here. We're, we drink like no tomorrow. But, that, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. And, and we've got to realize we live in a global economy and make the tariff thing to the tariff thing needs to go away. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're dealing with the idea again, that we're all tied together symbiotically, whether we speak different languages or not. Right. And politics gets in the way when you start punishing other countries that you want to sell your goods to at the end, you think you're getting a financial gain by taking money from these individual countries to sell your goods there. So who does that end up hurting? It hurts our companies that want to sell their goods overseas to make right. money and create more jobs and do things here. We can't just sell to our own folks. We got to sell globally, like you said. So mm-hmm. why are we going through this? Because we got a lot of people that are having a you know proverbial you know dick swinging contest. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, literally. And, and, I'm, and yeah. I mean, tariffs worked. I mean, the embargo worked against Russia back in in the seventies and eighties. The grain embargo it starved Russia out pretty much and and caused the collapse of communism. That's a different ball game because that's a definite more of a political hot button than trying to essentially starve our allies out of bourbon, which they're not, they're going to live <laughs> fine with versus they can find some alternative. Yeah. And I mean, these are excise items anyway, and you're not going to find bourbon any made any place else in Kentucky. So, you not, know, not good at least. No, they, <laughs> well, the definition of bourbon, bourbon has to be made in Kentucky or it's yeah. called whiskey. Yeah. Amen. Spare ticket for space flight with Jeff Bezos auctioned for $28 million. So what would you pay to take a jolting 11-minute trip into suborbital space alongside Jeff Bezos? Well, according to bidders in an auction that wrapped up on Saturday, it's 28 mil. The company kicked off the auction last month before it was revealed that billionaire founder and Amazon mogul Bezos, along with his brother Mark Bezos, would be on board New Shepard's inaugural crude mission. So Blue Origin sales director... Ariane Cornell said during a live stream of the event that 7,600 people from 159 countries had registered and were able to bid in the auction, which was hosted by Boston-based RR Auction on Saturday. The name of the winning bidder was not revealed. The flight is expected to take off from Blue Origins facilities in West Texas town of Van Horn on July 20th. What in the world? What are your thoughts? Is that how much you'd be paying? No, first of all. Even if you had it? First of all, no. No. (laughs) No. Second of all, this is, I I would say I want to be in that room because that's a bunch of the world's richest people. Hell yeah. In that room for it to go to 28 million. 28 million dollars. That's crazy. I would have liked to have been in the room too. Yeah. I would have loved to see what that was really going down like. Yeah. Because again, 28 million for 11 minute ride. Now, Jeff Bezos, we all know he's super rich. Just a but, little bit. But if you, you can afford $28 million to get on the plane... For 11 that's minutes. That's a hell of a Disney Fast Pass. Y- y- yeah, exactly. You, you are probably just as rich to dispose of that income for 11 minutes. Let's just keep that in perspective for a minute. You are probably just as rich. Maybe you're a little less rich, but you you can waste $28 million on 11 minutes. 
Come right. see me, I'll give you 11 minutes of paradise. <laughs> Amen, for $28 million. Uh, what? No, hold on. She didn't say the price. <laughs> she didn't. They did. There was no. There was no voting $10 on that. $10 make you holler. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. If, she cheapened her. If we're, if we're going off of her usual rate, that's only 28 bucks, guys, so you can afford this. Oh, my. That's, that's the good news. Uh, while that's the special COVID rate. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> for those who've been vaccinated. Fully vaccinated. Yeah. Have you been vaccinated? <laughs> Yes, I have. I just got mine. Did you get yours, sir? Yes, I'm fully We're vaccinated. We're all vaccinated. We're all vaccinated. We suggest all you award-winning listeners go vaccinate yourselves, too. But, you know, someone who has a really diverse portfolio while we're talking about space, Richard Branson, Virgin Orbit, in talks with former Goldman Partners, SPAC, for $3 billion deal to go public. Virgin Orbit, the satellite-launching spinoff of Sir Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic, is in advanced discussions to go public at about $3 billion valuation through a SPCA-CNBC confirmed on Saturday. The SPCA, led by a former Goldman Sachs partner, is next-gen acquisition two. A person familiar with the discussion told CNBC, a deal expected to be announced in the coming weeks, the person said. Number one, does anyone remember how he started? Who, Richard Branson? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I Which was? It, it was... Uh, Cell phones, right? Uh, so the no, very no, records, records. Yes, the he very first records. thing he did back in the eighties was he started a little label called Virgin Records, yeah. and then it turned into the Virgin Mega Stores, which then turned into Virgin Mobile, which mm. then turned into Virgin Air. This is amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. I love him. I love him. He's got his own little island and everything. There's there's no scandals with this man. I love him. I think that's a if you're model. looking for a scandal, come see me. Yes, but he's but he's been. This is the new space race. He's been on this for a while, oh, forever. How does everybody forever, feel yes. that NASA is like non-existence in the space race? And I think they don't care. I think they're like, we're doing our thing. If y'all want to go make a joyride out of this, good luck. But well, how does it feel? I mean, the nation used to be behind, or maybe I'm showing my age, but the nation used to be behind, like NASA and all these, and it was kind of a unifying force, and now. NASA's kind of sitting over there sleeping and uh, doing something with the space, the whatever's up there, the the space station. But well, I think it's I think they've always just been the researchers that are never trying to commercialize. Again, they're a government-owned entity, so right. Think about it. Ray-Ban sunglasses come from the research that they did for the space oh, yes. program. So, so cellular many things, technology part right, of that did right. too. So we have so much that has come from them and their research applying it to space. But I don't think that they are ever going to commercialize it. What Richard Branson's doing, what Elon Musk wants to do, is commercialize it to where the everyday folk can go out into space, enjoy a little, you know, float out there, things like that. But you look at like Richard Branson and Elon Musk are are private companies. Right. If you're looking at a, another country that's getting a lot of attention, it's India. India has one of the best space programs. I mean, in the world. Wow. And you would think of that, that. you'd think of that country and you'd be like, oh, no way. Like it's, you know, there's forestry that, you know, you're not thinking of the technology aspect of what they're building, but they're doing some great stuff. But NASA is still using, keep this in mind, uh, Tesla's SpaceX rockets. Okay. He created that and then they made a deal so they don't have to develop that technology. So NASA pretty much is subcontracting. Pretty much. Okay. That sounds, that sounds about right. They fig- got the government figured out. What they do best, subcontract. Yep. I I just think that it's definitely open market for anyone who wants to jump on board because I feel like we've been hearing about people securing tickets to go to space for like literally 15, 20 years now. 
mm-hmm. that like different celebrities were like, oh, I already have that money in there. So somebody has been in development with this for a long time. I know the first major one I heard was Branson, yeah. you know, and I know um, who's the latest one. Is it um, is it Mr. Tesla himself? It's Elon Musk. Yeah. He, wants yeah. to get a, he wants to colonize Mars. He wants to take people to Mars. So how is that going to work? And if he gets to Mars before, like, a government entity gets to Mars, will he own Mars? Oh, that would be, I would love that. I mean, technically, we're, <laughs> technically we're already there. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. we have robots but, for days. But I mean, is it dependent upon, like, who plants the flag who, first? If we get a person to Mars <laughs> yeah. and, like, this is mine. I, mean, I would t- love that. Are you thinking, like, in an eminent domain type of thing? Yeah, You're just snatching d- up? Snatching it up. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't know. That'd be interesting to see what happens. I mean... I mean, could you imagine what it would be like for us to have people here and maybe our relatives on Mars? That'd be amazing. How would, <laughs> I mean, but how would we divvy that up? Let's think about that for just a second. Would, we, I would summer we take, on Mars. Would, would, we, <laughs> t- would we take send, all the crazy people and say, hey, y'all go to Mars? Yeah, uh, I think that's a right good here. plan. I think yeah, that's a good can plan. Can we send my ex to Mars? Uh-huh. Yes, she can go there. I can think of about 10 people quickly that I would be like, you can yeah. go. You're uh-huh. good. Yeah, you can go. No return trip. Yes. So on that note, go ahead and book your ticket to go to Mars, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. I'm leaving on a jet plane. Don't know when I'll be back again. Oh, baby. Welcome back. So here we go with another story. I will say shout out to Lizzo for sending a lot of stories this morning. And I'm still pulling from various different ones. Twitter needs India and Nigeria to grow. It's running into trouble in both. So number one, what I will say is with the launch of this show, I had thought because of now TikTok, Instagram, clearly Facebook has been here the whole time, and then various other ways to kind of keep people updated, Snapchat, etc., I kind of thought Twitter, like, is that going to the wayward side? No, it is definitely there. What I like is the efficiency of Twitter. That's the only one that will keep you under a certain amount of characters. And I like that. And I like the simplicity. I need to talk to somebody from Twitter because I will say that some of our posts, it'll show like, oh, and I like that they show your analytics. So on some of your posts uh, or some of our posts, I see that we have like 55, 20 and then one of the most recent ones, because it was an amazing promo video produced by somebody, me. Thank you, Michael. Over 20,000 interactions. So I was like, what? And what's crazy is I cannot necessarily figure that out. That's the hardest part. I hate all of this marketing psychosis, but I love it at the same time. Keep on tagging Celine. So I do every time. Twitter is under siege in two countries that are critical for its global growth plans. The social media giant has been ensnared in a battle with the Indian government for months over free speech and other issues and is contending with restrictive new rules pushed by New Delhi. If that wasn't enough, even more dramatic events are unfolding thousands of miles away along Africa's western coast. Nigeria last week indefinitely blocked Twitter after the company deleted a post from President Buhari that threatened a brutal clampdown on unrest in Africa's most populous nation. The Nigerian government also ordered federal prosecutors to arrest users of the app. 
you guys might want to chill out over there. They do not play in Africa, y'all. They do not so play. y'all gotta no. stop. So that's not the place to play. That's like play, that's like fucking around over in the Middle East. No. Like you don't do that. No. So, anyways, what are your thoughts here, Lizzo? They definitely need the ch- uh, the Indian market. The Indian market's huge, humongous. Uh huh. Is it not the most? Isn't it the second most populated nation? I think it's second to China. Yeah, yeah second mm-hmm. to China. Yeah. Correct. So I was like, Mm-mm, that's that's crazy. That was one of the things I was um, figuring out in this new study on Facebook growth is getting over into foreign markets, which is what we're pushing for because we're global. The show is global. And we are pushing for that. They were talking about India is a key market. Yeah, definitely to get into because they're all over the place. They're merging because again they're developing technologies. They're doing a bunch of stuff. And the over Indian there. government has always been a bit screwball with technology. I don't know. I mean, we've always in in my in wire in the wireless arena, we've always had trouble with the Indian government well, not I, wanting I, to do things that were I feel every like, other government's doing. I feel like blocking the leader of a nation is. probably... Uh, like a post or something that's maybe not a good move if you're trying to expand twitter blocked donald trump well no that was facebook no twitter did too. oh they did too no but they've gotten into he brought that on himself well they're getting into a position though and this is where two things are screwing up and jack dorsey's a smart man the guy that owns twitter i mean the guy's a genius but i think they need to understand whoever's running it because you got to think jack dorsey is not telling everybody everything about the Indian market, uh, right. telling them everything when they're going in, he's has people in place that should be figuring out how to communicate in that marketplace. Right. Right. And that is actually a, a hard thing. When you look at expanding globally in any business, what most people screw up on is the lobbying. It, well, it, yeah, but it's how do, how does my technology fit or my product fit into this landscape? And do I need to make adjustments to it to make it more pliable here? Can I make it more, Something that somebody's going to want to use and they're going to want to take. Like Starbucks had that problem in China. When they tried to expand into China, it was an age-old story. They just kept screwing it up. They thought, hey, I'd hire, hire certain types of people. But what they started to realize, once they hired the right expert that knew China, had a company in China, they they realized how important family was to them. And so meetings would be had at a corporate level where you could bring your spouses your significant others, and they're a part of the meeting with you. Oh, wow. Which is a cultural difference. But then they started to embrace the culture. Then they started to do well. And I think that's the problem that Twitter has. They don't understand what are they okay with, what is their culture, and then how can my tech be used in that country. Mm-hmm. Now, I do agree they should not block this person in Africa. But, right. You know, But I'll say... If he's a significant political figure, like we just had, as you said, with Donald Trump, well, uh-huh. he's the president. You, you gotta, you gotta watch out because that actually has power, right? We noticed how much you can just put as a person of in a position of power. You can say something, and it can incite right. certain things. So you don't want to be a part of that as a tech company, right? But you also are playing with fire because now you're actually muting somebody's right to have free speech. You're, you're, you're muting like, somebody's yeah. right, but but you know the. What happened in the, the, the January sixth? The the you know trying to incite a revolt. Mm-hmm. You, you're. What bothers me is some of these tech companies are become. They're going to have to be the moral fabrics fabric of the society and not let things go. And and that can get totally. 
you're putting a lot of power in a very few people's hands. So, but we're already doing that in the government. You're just changing it to somebody cha- else. Yeah, you're changing it to an official that's not elected. And they already use the data against you to sell to you. And for, right. Like, they create the narratives. That's insane. Yeah, like, it is. So the restrictions in India and the ban in Nigeria are troublesome for Twitter. While the company does not break down user data for these countries, independent research suggests India is among its top five markets, Asia's third largest economy with its 700 million internet users and many more yet to come online is also Twitter's top growth market. Meanwhile, nearly 20% of Nigeria's population of 200 million have Twitter accounts. So, yeah, they've got they got a lot of work to do over there. Maybe go and try to make nice with the president because he's arresting people for using Twitter. I don't know. That president may be a little bit, if he's like a typical African president, he probably has some blood on his hands somewhere. So, uh, no, oh, no. clearly. Well, you did say it's Nigeria, right? Correct. I get letters from them all the time and emails. I get all kinds of things saying that they, they have a million dollars for me or some sum of money. Oh, you should the send transfer. them a letter back and say, mm, I use Twitter. Okay. So... <laughs> Just let them know. Uh, GM, Ford are all in on EVs. Here's how their dealers feel about it. General Motors is aiming to produce only EVs by 2035, with 30 new plug-in models arriving by 2025. A $27 billion investment. Ford, which is investing $22 billion in EVs and announced that 40% of its vehicles will be electrified by 2030. I love the way that sounds. Generated excitement with the recent debut of the F-150 Lightning all-electric pickup. Many auto dealerships are embracing the electric vehicle transition, but there are concerns about costs to be paid, staff training, and impact on lucrative service department business. So is this just a necessary evil that is coming, and it's just another form of change they have to get over? We're getting rid of fossil fuels is what's happening. Yeah. And it's it's a natural evolution in our economy to get rid of things that pollute the... I mean, we potentially... If we were to go as we are, the sea, sea levels are going to rise, and that's a bigger economic disaster considering, what is it, 90% of the people in the country or something crazy like that live within 50 miles of a coast coastline. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so we have to be responsible citizens. But what I question is, where are all these batteries going to go when they die? This is a good one. That's a valid point. I I don't know. What would your thoughts be on what they do with them? I don't know. There's going to be a little, uh, Hopefully they figure out a way to recycle the... Cause some They're going to send them to Mars. Well. <laughs> Elon Musk is taking them to you, Mars. You, you know how much lithium it's going to take? Let's think about that. How much lithium do we have that we can mine? Like, I need to figure that out really quickly because that's, I mean, it's necessary, right? But it's a component of the, you know, looking at trying to save our planet from going through these disastrous changes before it gets Mm -hmm. so far out of control that we're all impacted, whether we're coastline or not, in much different ways. I think that's a small part. But then you got to think about how are you going to get the lithium that you're going to you're going to mine a lot of lithium. So what is that going to do and how are you going to do that? Are those vehicles and those things going to be right. electric as well? So, I mean, there's a multitude of components. I like the fact that Ford and GM are making the stance and seeing it, but they'll also probably be cheaper because right now all you have is really Tesla that has the all-electric type vehicles. You have some like the Prius that are kind of blends and mm-hmm. other companies have gotten into it, but in America it has not hit big. And we've tried this before. If you can go back to the late 90s, early 2000s when Chevy had their little little stuff Volt, you know, Bolt. the Volt, Volt. Yeah. it 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 tanked 
and there was a lot of things you have I think to, it was too soon right and it might it might have been but you have to get people comfortable and tesla i think made people comfortable it was the first one in because that really man he just he makes you love him <laughs> i mean he's a genius he really making is. truck lovers like an electric truck is going to be an interesting prospect i'm going to tell y'all if y'all That's haven't true. picked up on it already this is where you heard it first when i loved the framing that colin gave to it where he was talking about and i use the example a lot honestly with people when i'm talking about business and marketing is exactly what you said he's not selling based off of numbers he's not selling because it's the most you know in demand everybody has it it's all over he's selling the idea he's selling the journey Mm -hmm. and that's the biggest difference and he's amazing at it so he's doing a great job Um, as far as this goes researchers examined various models to determine how much lithium remains on earth with estimates varying from 30 to 95 million tons as the united states geological survey for instance indicates total resource stock of 80 million are we going to mars does mars have lithium Oh, that's good no, no. This is where we're going to press innovation, really, and yeah. we're going to really see how innovative we are again. Like when we were running towards the moon, and then we started changing technologies like cell phones and really go, making a go there for that twenty-year right. run. We're going to see: can we actually come up with a better way of creating a battery? Think about true story. Think about the technology of a battery has been the same yeah. for a long. I mean, I don't even know. It could be a hundred years now at this point. Yeah, well, I don't even know how long, but well, it has in, not changed. In another article, it talks about how basically what we're going to see on the rise is the recycling of these batteries mm-hmm. and how to go into. So I think we're going to see businesses that weren't there coming up in the next five to ten years that are going to be solely based on reprocessing and reusing. So we're going to be seeing a serious growth in that. So when Elon Musk, uh, Elon Musk, Elon Musk tells you to buy a car, what else is he telling you? Just trust me, okay? We'll be back with another segment. Baby, you can drive my- 